Welcome to the For Love and Money podcast, the show where business and social purpose meet to inspire a movement for positive change. Here's your host, Carolyn Butler-Madden. My guest today is James Bartle, the founding CEO of Outland Denim, a fashion company on the vanguard of the socially conscious manufacturing movement. James is passionate about denim and the craft of gene manufacturing, but also the unique ability of the garment industry to drive change. Outland Denim employs young women seamstresses who have been impacted by human rights abuses and gives them a hope and a future through sustainable employment and career progression in their Cambodia-based production facilities. James, thank you so much for coming on the For Love and Money podcast. Oh, look, thank you so much for having me. Um, look, I'm going to kick off with a question I'm asking all of my guests, and that is, what does purpose mean to you personally? And, and two questions, actually. And what is your perspective on the role of love in business? Wow. Well, uh, they're both really big questions. Um, you know, I mean, purpose to me is um, so important. In fact, I'd, I'd probably say that, you know, being really deeply connected to the to a, to a purpose um, is nearly like your superpower in business, you know, without it, it's nearly like a ship without a rudder, you know, you, you can get blown around, but, um, because I've got a really deep and strong connection to the purpose that I am in business. Um, you know, my purpose is something that I'm passionate about and that I, that I, um, you know, I think about all the time and I'm motivated to do whatever it takes. I'm, I'm, I'm motivated to go without, um, and make the sacrifices necessary because of that purpose. So, so purpose is everything. Purpose is really, really important. Um, and that goes into, into your own personal life. And, you know, it's not just business, is it? But um, money, um, you know, money is, it's like oxygen. How do you, how do you, how do you operate without it? Um, you know, I think money has a really um, clear and powerful purpose in um, our businesses, our personal lives, everything. It's, um, it's necessary to have. Um, it can also be the root of, you know, a lot of um, of the horrible things that we see. And in fact, it's it's ultimately like a, you know, uh, like a double-edged sword. You know, on one side you've got this, um, you know, need for it. It can it can create so much good. And then on the other side, it can um, really foster, you know, really terrible. Um, qualities in humans um, through greed and the need for it or the reliance on money or money is the answer. And, um, and so therefore it's something that needs to be dealt with carefully and respected in to what it really is. Um, yeah. And I guess it begs the question, how much is enough? Is there ever a point where enough is enough? Um, but yeah, that, that, that's a whole other topic, isn't it? And yeah. um, and, and look, we're going to get into the purpose side of things, but I, I do want to go back to this idea of love in business because it, it, it's an interesting one. Some, some, some people and um, some, of my, some of my guests have been a bit uncomfortable with the idea of it. And then they come around full circle, some of them as well. But, um, but, but do you, you know, what do you think about love in business? Love driving business, love of what you do, why you do it? You know, well, imagine a world without it. Imagine a world without love. Um, you know, and and so ultimately, when you when you say you ask me questions like, you know, what does purpose mean, or how important is money, and then you and then you you ask me about love, you, you're speaking my language. You know, like 
I, I believe that, you know, everything should be rooted in love, you know, like um, even think about um, the situations within our own business when we're trying to get the best out of our staff, you know, like how do we respond to them? Are we responding to them um, out of it coming from a position of loving them and loving our business and wanting the best for, for all in this? Or are we coming at anyone with, I guess, a bee on our bonnet and, you know, we're frustrated and we're coming from uh, that kind of place. And if you think about those two situations, you know, you can always identify the ones that were most powerful. And, and I would say that every single time you will identify that when you came at something, whatever it is from a position of love, you got a much greater result than those times where you didn't, you know, um, where you came from a place of fear or frustration or anger, you know, those things really um, never breed anything that's healthy. And I'm guilty of it, you know. Um, but what I do know and I do recognize is that, um, that absolutely love is key and operating your business um, with that being at the forefront, you will again, it is another, it gives you the ability to unlock something really special that you won't unlock otherwise. Brilliant, brilliant. And look, what, what you touched on there, I, I think is something we just don't talk about enough, right, which is the power. Like love is yeah. such a powerful emotion. And, yeah. and you know, you, you think about, you hear stories about how mothers have lifted cars off, you know, yeah. their, their yeah. children and stuff like that. Where does that come from? And that, that's the power of love. And if we yeah. can channel it more, in yep. business which is such a big part of our lives wow yep. can you just yep. imagine absolutely you know, what that could look absolutely. like which is what you're doing which is why I, I was so excited to have you on this show um, because your business Outland Denim clearly um, to me looking at it researching it for my book has been founded on a love of humanity yeah, basic absolutely. humanity yeah. So, so please tell us, tell us, um, tell us your backstory. It's such an interesting one about what you were doing, how you came to found Outland Denim, and and you know, in amongst it all, please share um, your purpose and the purpose of the organisation. Yeah, thank you. Well, look again, it, it is really nice to be able to come and talk to you and and explore these ideas because they are at the foundation of you know um, Outland Denim and the reason that we exist and. Um, I, I came from a, a different kind of background for somebody who finds themselves in fashion and, and running a business like this. And, um, you know, I was riding as a freestyle motocross rider actually directly before being exposed to this, these issues. And, you know, it was during that time that I was, um, I guess, didn't realize what I was learning, but I was learning um, a lot about fear and dealing with fear and anxiety and all of these things through, you know, operating in a sport that was quite dangerous. And so you were constantly having to, um, you know, talk to yourself and, and um, weigh things up and make decisions um, based on um, what, what fear should inform and shouldn't inform. And so it's only as these years have gone by that I've really recognized just how important um, some of that, that role was for me right now, because, now we find ourselves um, working in a business where um, we do feel like we're swimming upstream. You know, it, it does feel still difficult. You know, although there's a lot of conversation around um, clothing and fashion needing to move to being produced ethically and um, sustainably from an environmental standpoint, um, it's still very, very difficult because it's it's although talked about not mainstream. You know, so so our business was set up. Um, 
to, I guess, address two of the greatest issues that, that we that we experience in our in our day and then they are the, the social injustice and then also environmental degradation but when we started which was uh now around about 10 years ago um it was after an experience that i had um traveling traveling into southeast asia and it was on that on that trip there where i'd gone with a rescue agency just to see firsthand what uh, human trafficking looked like you know i'd been made aware a few hour, few sorry years earlier when going to the movies with my wife uh, on a date night with some friends to see the Liam Neeson film Taken, and and it was it was at that point in time that I was first exposed to um, human trafficking, and I just couldn't believe that it was such a such a uh, I mean a, a huge industry, and that it was um, even real in our in our day. You know, it just didn't feel like something like that could still exist. Um, you know, and as I, I learned more, I realized that this was a really big problem, you know, the, you know, $150 billion industry and that, you know, poverty was a, you know, the driver for a lot of these things, making people vulnerable and that there's no country that is exempt from having these issues. And, um, you know, it just so it started to feel like it was really big and overwhelming, but something that was really clear was that this was an economic problem, you know, and if we could address that, then what could happen you know really anything's possible if we could address that economic problem um, because then we're putting the power back in the hands of every individual um, to live their best life and really that was the foundation for outland denim and so we started and we embarked upon a six-year journey of proving the social impact that could be had through an enterprise that was motivated to creating product um, and that the goal would be to be able to get to a stage where we created products that left both the people and the planet in a better position as a result of creating it. Um, but what would happen? And so those first six years really proved the social uh, impact that could be had as a result of this kind of a concept. And we, over that time, learned that there needed to be four main areas that we addressed. And the first one was that we we're going to give opportunity to um, women at that time, and we now incorporate some men into our team as well, um, but that wouldn't get this kind of opportunity otherwise. And that could be as a result of, you know, they've gone through really traumatic um, experiences in their life. And therefore, it's really difficult for them to um, integrate back into a norm normal work environment. Or it could be um, that they just don't have those skills and that nobody's willing to invest into them in that way so that they can learn skills, especially denim, you know, is a difficult fabric and uh, making jeans is, is, is hard and it takes a lot of skill um, so it takes a lot of training and there's years of training um, our staff into being able to produce a product, but then the entire product. So how do we train them so that they've got, they can, they can make, make a gene and they've experienced every part of that. Whereas, you know, in a typical factory, um, they might just make pockets for the rest of their life. That's all they do. They become very fast and efficient at it. But there's no, there's no upskilling them to be able to go and find another job that they might want somewhere else or move or, you know, so, so our, our goal was to be able to offer that kind of training um, and then education as well. Um, you know, so probably not like you and I were privileged enough to experience that kind of education, but more so, Hey, what are the gaps? What are the things that, that um, you're missing in, you know, that real base level of, of an education, it could be around finance, we find that's a really powerful thing to run is teaching people how to plan and save the future now that they're making more money than they've earned in the past, um, you know, how to have investments and ensure that it gives some financial security to their family, their children, their children can now be educated because they're providing for this. 
So um, it could be around women's health. And there's so many, so many things, Khmer literacy, like um, that they learn when they go to work. And so that I think the beauty of that is that, hey, when I go to work, I'm just getting skilled up in one in this area of the of the garment sector and becoming a real professional there as a seamstress. And some of them go into administration roles and become section leaders. So there's a career path, um, but then also around these other areas that I might have had before. And then, and then the fourth um, pillar is um, living wages. And living wages, I mean, it's kind of frustrating that we we still talk about this as, as a big deal, you know, um, because the reality is I can't understand how anybody would not, you know, how any business would think it's okay to not pay a living wage. And, uh, you know, we find ourselves um, in this place where we go, well, okay, when they start working with us, they need to be earning a living wage. And that, that, that has nothing to do with skills, nothing to do with anything else. It just has to do with, okay, well, they have to be able to live. Um, and from there, as they grow their skills, as they become more valuable to the team, they go up in income. Um, and it's a very healthy way of it running. And, um, but unfortunately, we do get a gold star for paying living wages. And it just shows you that um, the reality in our industry is that uh, it's not it's not focused on living wages, it's focused on minimum wages. And in some countries, they're very close. And in fact, in Cambodia, it's grown over the years, the garment sector, to getting very close to paying living wages. So it's, it's a really, it's a great thing that we've seen happen there over the last 10 years of working. So we spent the first six years developing and trying to prove what could happen could happen uh, as a result of this kind of business. And, you know, we're getting stories back from our seamstresses, um, the most miraculous stories. And one that I always tell, it's the same one over, that she was the first girl that we employed. And she was, she came in and she worked really hard. And after a number of years, um, we were interviewing her just to asking about all the things that she'd been able to achieve herself through this kind of work and having this kind of job security and money and all of these things. And, you know, she was able to share that she had um, been able to build a home for her family. And, you know, um, that doesn't seem like much to begin with. That's huge, you, though. Yeah. Well, when you realise that they were living under a plastic sheet, it's huge, you know. Yeah. And, you know, it was about a six by six metre home and it was well up off the ground so that in monsoon season, the floodwaters can pass underneath the house. Um, it had uh, a metal roof and it was just, it was just amazing to see that she herself now somebody who had come from a history where um, she believed she'd lost dignity um, based on the the traumas and the the ways she'd been exploited in the past um, was now someone in her community who was seen to be the breadwinner someone who was coming in and earning the money and building a home for her family and you know she went on to talk about how she was also able to buy her sister back from someone who owned her and you know when when you hear stories like that it really puts it in perspective as to just how powerful this kind of employment can be and how people's lives can be completely changed as a result of at the end of the line people buying products that are aligned with their own personal values the impact of that is stories like this and yes. we get to we get to see these stories um lived out all the time and so we're obviously very passionate and motivated about continuing to see this build um in in strength um, and then after these six years of seeing that it really works, we launched our brand Outland Denim, and that was at the end of 2016, and which has led us on this journey of, you know, making beautiful products um, that have the ability to activate a cycle of freedom every time one of them is purchased. And, um, you know, now I guess we've seen it for long enough to just know just how powerful product can be. 
which I guess means that we operate our business slightly differently to the typical um, sustainability movement in that we realize that if you can harness the power of consumerism, um, mm. then you have something that is profoundly powerful, um, something that can, can change lives, but I believe well beyond lives because we've seen how it's impacted communities. Um, and so therefore there's nothing to say that it can't impact nations if we harness it and we harness it responsibly um, where greed isn't something that controls um, this movement, because um, ultimately it is, it's a movement that's happening here. Um, we, but we also recognize just how important money is in this process and shareholders who invest in this need to make good returns. And, and if we can't build a cycle where people can invest into this and make a good return on their investment, then really we're just creating another charity or if we're making mm -hmm. products that people are buying because it's a good cause, um, and not because it's a beautiful product, then again, we've just created another charity. But that's not our goal at all. Our goal is to create the best products in the premium data market um, that people want and desire. And the cherry on top is that they activate this cycle of freedom and investors make more money from this investment than they might from other investments or at least healthy returns. Um, and I think at that point in time, when we get to there, uh, that's when we see the industries changing. And when industries change, especially one like the fashion industry, where I think the statistics sit around one in six people on the face of the planet are involved in that industry at some level. Wow. That's a very, very powerful industry to try and change the world with. Uh, oh, my God. There's so much in there. I just don't even know where to start. Um, um, you, you talked about um, that story of your first employee, and it's so simple, isn't it? Just, you know, giving her safety and self-respect and how those two simple things can empower people yeah. to help themselves. Exactly. You know, and that's and the others and idea. others. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I can't even imagine the six years, how, how you got from freestyle motocross rider um, to Outland Denim and the six years. I can't even imagine the challenges you would have faced in, you know, starting a business in the fashion industry and you had no you had no um experience in the fashion industry no no that's correct oh no no experience yeah how how did you have good advisors around you like how did you manage a business with a factory overseas you know going into areas of social injustice um and environmental degradation, but just, even, even just the social injustice alone at that particular area, how did you even start that process? Well, uh, look, if anyone was watching that process unfold, they would have seen that I didn't know what I was doing. Um, <laughs> and, um, we did have a lot of great support, you know, local people up here supporting it financially and with time and you know, we, we were working alongside an NGO over there who were great. And, the, you know, the two Australians that were, were over there living in Cambodia were hugely supportive, um, giving their time and working tirelessly to, to, to see this come about, you know. So it was, was absolutely like team effort. It wasn't because of me. Um, but, you know, we, I guess the transition is... Um, you see something so confronting, like what I saw when I traveled and I saw a young girl for sale. Um, that was a that was a game changer for me. That was on my very first trip over there um, to see the problem firsthand. You know, 
Um, I don't want to call it lucky, but, you know, to see something like that, because it's certainly not, but it's, but I tell you what, it's changed my life. It, it was, mm. it was like an, it was an activator that, that I guess instilled something that was deep in me. And when you see a young girl for sale with the, the fear that I saw in her eyes, you, you can't really forget that it's different from seeing it on TV. Um, when you see it in the flesh, you, you have you to can't do walk past. You can't, you know, and so it's, um, it's something that, that I still draw from as far as to be motivated because some days I don't want to do this. I, you know, don't, you know, uh, it feels too hard. It feels too big. And, um, and I don't have the ability or the energy to do this anymore. You know, like there's mm-hmm. those days. Absolutely. But then I think about her and I think about the 40 odd million slaves that do exist in the world today. And um, I, I want to be a part of, some kind of solution. And, and there's a lot of other people out there like me that want to be a part of a solution. And our customers and our community are part of that solution and they want to be a part of it. So, so I'm also motivated by this, that, there, that it really is possible um, to get there. But it was a learning curve and it's, it still is a learning curve. You know, back then it was like worrying about how I'm going to get enough money to pay their, you know, a couple of people's wages. Um, and now it's still the same thing. You know, it's just, there's more people and they're, they're all, I guess, in, you put it in perspective of, um, you know, the skills that I had then versus skills I have now, but except that now that I've got an amazing team around me, um, Mm -hmm. really gifted, smart people, um, helping make good decisions, um, working their backsides off to make our products better, our brand better. So in some aspects, I guess it's easier now than it was back then because, back then it was very, very lonely. Um, and, you, mm. and, and and as you talked about it 10 years ago, people's eyes would glaze over. Like the idea of getting to get on someone's podcast to talk about this 10 years ago was unlikely, you know, yeah. um, because they just didn't understand. They weren't aware of how big this issue was, but today we are. And um, that's what's exciting about this is that now we've got this huge opportunity to change history. Um, you know, you think back to William Wilberforce days, you know, someone who's a personal hero of mine, you know, sitting in parliament and fighting to end the slave trade, the transatlantic slave trade and, um, you know, and passing this bill, you know, to then die, um, you know, uh, not not long after. And you think, wow, like what a man, like and, and, he, and his team that, that fought with him. Um, but this problem is bigger today than it's ever been before in history, you know, mm. so... Um, if we were all to rally together to really to create industry to be the solution to some of these problems, then what would happen? And, and that's why I'm excited because I, I feel like this is one time in history, um, a very unique time in history, when businesses have this opportunity to go and eradicate something which is so vile um, from our future and um, customers and the community around us will support you if you yeah. step up and do something significant with your business. 100%. And it's, it's a question that I've been, it's a central question of my book and, and this podcast. And that is, you know, what if business has not yet realised its true full potential? Mm. What if we've just been scratching the surface of the potential of, you know, some, an institution that has so much power ability resources to create change Mm. and it is businesses like yours James that 
are showing the way. So when, when you talk about not the luck, but that moment that found you in Cambodia looking into, yeah. um, into that girl's eyes, um, I'm, I'm just grateful it was you. And, you know, because many just ordinary people with a lot of empathy would have felt what you felt, but not actually taken the steps that you ultimately took, which I have no doubt must have, I can't imagine how challenging it has been for you to, to do all of this. And it takes it right back to what we were talking about, about before. It's, love love of humanity yeah. the the inability to walk past and not do something about that um i think the, the challenge there carolyn is you know um i can easily then walk past a homeless person and because i'm so busy and so focused on what it is yeah. i'm doing at the time where i need to go that that i walk past somebody else who's so needy so so i think you know it's not actually that that i'm special um that i've that i'm more compassionate and it's not it's actually not that it's that i was just I was lucky enough to be confronted with something powerful enough at a time that seared into my, into my brain because I was not in my normal environment where I was busy and hurrying because I do, I, I walk past homeless people and I don't like that, that I do that um, because everyone's got a need and there's a reason that they're there. Um, and, and in fact, you know, someone who I've been spending time with recently has pointed something interesting out to me in that, doesn't matter if you're dealing with somebody in the developing world, you know, really poor nation, um, who's challenged with poverty. You could be dealing with somebody who's quite wealthy right beside you, who is who has also been challenged with something which is really significant to them, which is preventing them from actually breaking free to be able to be a part of a solution rather than a problem. And when you think about it, someone who's poor, all they can think about is this hand to mouth thing. It's like all I can worry about today is getting enough food to eat tonight, but but it's the same for somebody else in another situation who's wealthy, who's, you know, I can't think beyond the problem I'm faced with right now. So what if we did just address humanity in general with love? You know, what if it was that when I'm walking down the street and I pass somebody who looks down, it could be as simple as like, good morning um, with a smile. Like, honestly, we probably all can yeah. think back and remember one of those moments where I feel really average about myself, but somebody came past and just, just offered me this little glimmer of hope. And, you know, I think it's these micro things that we can all start doing. But business then has this other opportunity, which is even bigger than that, because we deal with people every single day, all day long, whether you're a services-based business or a product-based business, we still deal with people. And if we were to weave this love into i guess the operations of our business um in a in a practical way um then i i believe that business becomes the solution to the big issues we face today um and i think outland adam is an example of the proof of that it it it, it really is um a solution but you've got to choose to because it's not an easy road because it's rethinking the way business should operate or the way you should treat a supplier or somebody else uh, in the process, you know, um, but if you think about it with how do I love people first, then everything else flows from that. And it, it, yeah, it, it's reframing how you think about business and it, it is so hardwired in all of us to think of business as this thing that has to be about profit first, profit first, mm -hmm. profit first. 
and you see young people coming in. I've got a you know 22, nearly 23-year-old daughter who just finished university, and they come out with such idealism in in their there's, there's yeah there's crushed. Yeah, that's and and I guess that's the there's a key there. Like I think you know we yeah we come out we're motivated it's kind of like when you go overseas and you see an e and then you come back into into your normal world right and and you're all motivated and you're all really passionate to do something and then you start to get inundated with the realism of life and that could be through the things people say you know because we're all we all have a different capacity for risk you know, and this is one of the greatest things. And, and one of, to be honest, the biggest challenges I face today is the way I see risk versus the way other people see risk, whom um, we need to come together and work well together, but we see it differently. And so you, you're passionate, you're motivated, you're driven, you want to do something. And then you come back in and you've got this world standard of a risk assessment. And we now need to do a risk assessment. And it looks like this. Well, the reality is, if I was to 100% listen to that risk assessment, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. Mm. way too risky um and so what i think that risk sometimes does is actually places our needs above someone else's because it's too risky for me it's too risky for my business it's too you know and and when you think about that that's really looking back at me that's really self-focused my business me my you know um but what if we start to change the metrics of the way we measure risk and we look at it with more of this global view of well, in fact, I would say it's the greatest risk we face as humanity is not doing something about it, is not taking the risk. Um, and, you know, that really then starts to change things in the way that you approach business and your idea of what could be possible if we rallied together. What could be possible if we took this risk and it worked? Well, we might fail. But I tell you what, we won't be robbed of the experience. We won't be robbed of the skills that we learned during that time. So we'll only come back stronger. We'll only come back more with a greater ability to be able to address the issue. So, so I think that that's one big barrier that we're actually taught when we go to university. Now I didn't go to university, so um, I, I'm you know I'm I've lacked a lot of the education um, elements. Same. To, I didn't yeah. either. Yeah. Right. Okay. Good. Well, that's great. <laughs> but I but I um, I think there's lots of amazing and beneficial. You know, university is amazing if you if you've had the privilege to go, um, but we are taught to do things in a way which is is in my opinion not a global focus uh, or even a community focus. A lot of the time, it's actually a very selfish focus, and that's often how risk assessments are carried out, and um, has led me into many places of frustration <laughs> in the past. And, and the opposite side of risk is opportunity, right? So I, I, I work with a, a risk consultant who, God, you would you want to talk to her. She talks about how her central philosophy is risk starts and ends with people. Yeah. And that's what you've got to look at. But, but yeah. also that opportunity is the other side of risk, which mm. is exactly what you're talking about. Okay. And what it also says to me is business has always been about um fulfilling needs right now my background is marketing i've worked in the agency side of marketing for 30 years and you know the number of times i i sat in strategy sessions and things where brands were trying to work out you know what is the need we need to fulfill and mm. just so 
often a lot of superficiality, you know, that yeah. drove new product innovation. And, and I look now and it's glaringly obviously obvious, James, there are huge needs staring us in the face. The world is crying out, you know, there are needs um, that, that for humanity, for the environment, yeah. that they, they are all there and business has the means and the capability to solve them. Mm. And it's not about taking a not-for-profit stance, mm. a charity stance. It's about, you know, pushing yourself harder to think about how do I solve these needs in a way that I can make a profit out of it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and you know, profit not being a dirty word, so often you find, you know, those that go into the NFP space, um, you know, they might have gone in with this bleeding heart as, as I did. Uh, I started as a not-for-profit. Um, and, you know, you think it's the only pure way of doing something. And actually a friend of mine, um, you know, pointed out to me once, as did, a, as did an investor, in fact, um, that maybe it's actually more pure doing it as a for-profit because now I'm not giving someone else's money away. I'm giving my money away. Um, and, and it's also our investors giving their money away, you know, and so people coming together collectively to go, we care enough about these issues. We're going to back it with our, with our money, um, is actually quite powerful. But, um, I, I think that there's something around that the not-for-profit world that would be so useful in the for-profit world, you know, and if we could merge those two together, um, which we call social enterprise or whatever, you know, like, um, it becomes insanely powerful insanely mm. powerful and um uh, I, I guess there is a movement toward it um but i would love to see that there's less not-for-profits and more for-profit businesses operating to address world issues absolutely and you can you can see it in story after story of business um another another episode on this podcast is with the creator of dave's killer bread have you heard of that brand no. No. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll share it with you offline, but they, uh, he came from a criminal background into his family bakery and um, realised his second chance, you know, creating this beautiful organic bread yeah. and they're in business to support second chance employment. So yeah. helping yeah. people from those yeah. sorts. And these are the different problems we're talking about, right? Absolutely. Sexual exploitation, Absolutely. you know, criminals coming out, actually wanting yeah. to make good yeah. with their life. Um, the yep. environment, you know, certain species facing its extinction, yep. huge Absolutely. opportunities. And I'm so glad you talk about not um, shying away from profit because at the end of the day, the more profitable your business is, the more you'll be able to scale the impact you can oh. have. So think big, go big. Yeah, yeah you've Here's got to think big, but, you know, I think about it in terms of like, okay, well, what if, what if the people who invest in Outland Dana made heaps of money. They're already the people who have proven that they, are they will take a risk to see good things happen. Well, I want those kinds of people to have more money than those who are assessing it very differently, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's a challenge we face here, uh, in fact, in Australia, is the impact investing space. Um, you know, there's, it's, it's pretty conservative. It's, there's not a lot of risk that's taken, you know? And so when you think about the you know, the so-called ESG or impact investing space, um, we, I'm not very confident in it here in Australia. I don't think that it's, it's a well-oiled machine motivated by impact. 
I think that it's the new buzzword. And so we've everyone's got an impact investment fund. And what we need is we need the genuine ones who genuinely care about impact to have more money because they'll reinvest it into impact, impact, impact in whatever it is, whatever space it is, could be, you know, saving the koalas. That's awesome. That's great. How do we get more money in those people's hands? Um, and I think things like uh, equity crowdfunding are, amazing ways for businesses to be able to raise equity now and get the right kinds of people involved you know mum and dad investors who genuinely care who want to align businesses with their own personal values um, and be able to have a go at investing in it you know for a smaller amount of money and so the impact investing space has been um is being i what i think actually will it will get a real shake up by this um equity crowdfunding movement that's happening here um, and that's great because when we start to weed out those that aren't legit about impact, that are more just about profits um, and replace them with those who are legitimate about impact and yeah. they make profits, then my gosh, what can happen? It'll be huge what could happen. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm really excited to see that unfold. I'm curious when you say um, you don't see it happening as strongly in Australia, where in the world do you see it? Um, sort of opening the doors and driving change? Yeah, well, look, I mean, it is happening everywhere. There's impact investors everywhere, but it's probably more the experiences I've had with, um, I guess, the methodology that an Australian impact investor would use to place a value on a company versus one in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, you know, it's, it's, I've heard it said to me by somebody once, once before, um, you know, uh, there, there are an American woman who came here to do to set up uh, startups. She's done a number of them in the US and came down here to do it on some government program. Anyway, she just said, "Oh, James, it's like it's like nearly every Australian investor I've spoken to doesn't even have an imagination. You know, it's it's literally valuation will be a multiple of EBITDA. You know, and that's all we do. And and it's not like that in the north, according to her, and also my own experience would say that's different." Yeah. Um, things have evaluated very differently. And so um, I guess that's where it's a challenge for in the South down here. Um, we, we don't find it as easy to get equity, to get, to, to, mm. to get the capital behind us, sorry, to, to um, go and build an impact, you know, um, it's really, really hard. And um, so, you know, advice I've often said to people, well, if you have the ability to set it up in the US, I, I would consider that because you'll probably find it easier to raise money there than you will here. But I think that that's going to be challenged and is being challenged. Now, I, I think Outlander is an example of 1,600 odd investors who are progressive, who do think about it differently. They are proof that they do exist. It's just harder to find them. But when you do find them, you end up with this group of people whom are dead set legends, honestly, like the people who have invested in us to be able to do what we've done are the heroes of the day. They really are because they've taken big risks because they genuinely care about impact. And um, I hope that all impact um, businesses can find those people um, to get around them. And, and you know what? I'm selling equity to those kinds of people I'm, I'm okay with it. You know, I'll do it every day of the week if you have to, because it's, it's, it's only going to make your business more powerful by bringing in this community of people that are like-minded. Uh, okay. So you're, so, so tell me first, um, your 1600 investors, they were crowdfunded. 
well, obviously the majority were. I think there's about 26 that are not. Um, yeah. And those 26, I would say, though, um, are, and, you know, if I ever told you some of the stories, like amazing, amazing stories of people taking huge risks because they genuinely care and genuinely believe that this business can change not just the lives of the people we employ now, but potentially thousands and thousands of people's lives as we go into the future. And so there's been big personal risks that have been taken by a lot of the people who are involved in this. Um, of course, they want to see a return on their money. Um, of course, they want dividends, but um, this is about impact. This is about impact for, first and foremost. And so, um, yeah, I would say that, you know, the majority of the people who have invested in Outland Denim, of course, they see opportunity, a commercial opportunity. Of course, they'd, they'd be crazy not to. Otherwise, they're just making yep. a donation to a charity. Yeah. But they are evaluating things very differently to what the traditional ESG or impact investor would traditionally do. And see what you're talking about there. Um, I, I, um, I borrowed a phrase from Seth Godin, the author and marketer, uh, people like us. And I, I use it in all my work. And it's, it's probably one of the most powerful exercises that my clients come back to me. And all I hear about them talking about is, oh, but they're our people like us or they're not our people like us. And that's what you're talking about. You know, not just your customers, um, your employees, your investors, people who share a belief, yeah. you know, who want to create change. And and that's everybody, all your stakeholders coming yeah. together and their emotional investment in your business and the success of your business is very different to the investment or the emotional investment of someone who's just looking for a return. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Or looking yeah. for a wage, you know, just just it's completely different. It's 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 you look at it and you think, but this is a no brainer, surely. This is what business was meant to be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it's you know, even down to here for us, our staff, you know, the kinds of people you attract into your business are, you know, if, if, you, if you ever get to come and meet them and you spend half an hour with them, you'll see that it's, it's a room full of exceptional people that are motivated for things way greater than themselves. Um, and again, none of this is possible unless you have that kind of team. Um, if we had a team that was very much just out for themselves, um, it wouldn't operate like this and the culture would be terrible. And, you know, we, the sacrifices wouldn't be made that need to be made, you know, because you'd go home at five o'clock, you know, but it's not those kinds of people. And mm. so it's, it's, it's all the stakeholders involved in, in this business that make it what it is um, and creating that has to come back to a foundational thing of a shared vision and purpose. Um, and if you do share that, which has to come back to aligning with your own personal values, um, then, then you've got something that can really, really do bigger things than maybe you imagine it can do. But you've got to come back to those foundational things. Do we share the vision and the, do we share the purpose of, you know, the reason that this business would exist? Um, does it align with my personal values? And if you can tick on those, those things off, like, you've got something that's going to be quite a uh, force to be reckoned with. And that's why I believe that our business has potential to go to be huge. I mean, my goal is that it's the biggest premium denim brand in the world. That's what I want. That's what yeah, I want. To fantastic. Fantastic. Um, you talked at the beginning of this interview about um, purpose being a superpower. And I think that's what you're talking about. Again, it inspires, it, it, it drives an energy within you that, 
has allowed you to to get through that first six years and you know do everything that you've done with the business and you know it's the same for many other businesses like that um it also attracts um others who can elevate your brand and give it the profile can you tell us about the Meghan Markle effect yeah yeah pretty pretty incredible um experience to be honest I mean to have somebody and at the time she was you know arguably the most famous person in the world talked about more than anybody else on the face of the planet and um and that person then um comes to Australia and decides that they're going to wear your jeans I mean um I can't even I can't even tell you the good and the bad that comes from that you know how did you Um, find out about it well I was in Cambodia and um I'd woken up we're three hours behind in Cambodia from um here in Australia and um the the phone when I woke up and look at it my phone lives on silent so didn't know anything was going on but it was just full full screen like as I scroll kept scrolling down 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 of like like messages of every kind every medium that there was to communicate was trying to communicate with me um and yeah it was that um she had hopped off um this airplane in in Dubbo wearing Outland denim and the media had started to talk about it which then so then we found out about it and um and it just turned into this this crazy um I guess series of events that followed you know so I hopped on an airplane literally that night like so I was only there for 12 hours or something and and then flew back to Sydney I think it was and it was straight into you know TV interviews and those kinds of things and talking about the you know Duchess of Sussex wearing this unknown Australian brand's product um but it was, it was great because it gave us these open doors, you know, um, conversations we wouldn't have been able to have easily otherwise. Um, we'd, we'd literally just signed to um, start stocking David Jones and we were stocked um, with some of the best retailers in Canada. So that it was already happening from a sales perspective, um, but from a media perspective, it was, it was a, a really big deal for us. And then um, you start growing, you know. Um, it must have been a game changer. It definitely was a game changer. You know, it was um, based on the the media exposure and people wanting to be a part of that kind of impact. You know, we sold out of the product that she was wearing, you know, very quickly. And, um, you know, but it, like then we were trying to reproduce and, you know, getting in the quality where it needed to be and all these other logistical nightmares <laughs> unfolded over the next, you know, you know, 18 months of like um, growing too quickly, you know, there was the, my lack of experience, um, meant that we took too many opportunities, meant we couldn't deliver to the standard we wanted to deliver. And so we had to really just slow down, you know, work on our foundations, make sure we're strong before we grow again. Um, and we're really at that point now, you know, to be honest, I mean, you're always growing, you're always getting better and you look back and go, oh, you know, six months ago, we were only there, but, um, getting our product to really stand up to be beautiful, beautiful product. Um, you know, training our people to make to that standard is, has been a challenge. And so since me and Markle, um, we've really focused on that and getting that product right. Um, working on culture, not growing too quickly. I mean, we employed 46 new people as a result of her wearing that product. Um, you know, it was, it was huge. And that's not because of just the, the financial, um, uh, you know, gain that comes in the door immediately. It's, it's, the demand and the opportunity, the reason we exist is, you know, to be able to give employment to vulnerable people. So um, Ming and Mark provided that opportunity for us. And, you know, she's been somebody that I go, wow, like 
her to take risks on unknown brand like brands like us and i'm sure they did their due diligence but um uh, it, it really I, I think speaks to the, the person that that she is and um i've heard lots of terrible things been said about that person but you know <laughs> from what i've seen and what she's done for us and not just us many other brands she's very very considered in what she endorses um i'd say it speaks a lot to the human that she is mm, and what a great example of um you know the value of taking risk absolutely absolutely so much value in it you know and i mean we, uh, we had leonardo dicaprio following her wear our products you know like like even oh, really? one, a bit of a, like are you serious like <laughs> i was i was i was in new york um uh, I was talking to the fashion editor of uh, Esquire magazine and he was doing a photo shoot for the promotion of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And he said we were, we had Brad Pitt and Leonardo and they were doing this, this shoot and um, Leonardo goes off, oh, it's denim, I want it to be Outland denim. And so they, they contacted amazing. us, you know, like just, and, and others as well, like just, just amazing, really, really cool. Like, oh, and it, it does again, it highlights that even these big celebrities, they're not in it for themselves all the time. Yes, they might make a lot of money. Yes, they've got fame. They would have so many challenges that come with that. That would be so terrible that you and I would probably hate to have to deal with, but they use it for good too, you know? And yeah. we've been a brand that has experienced the good side of, of that world um, mm. where they genuinely use it for the betterment of humanity. And that gives me a lot of hope for what our future could look like. Yeah, me, me as well, James. And I think I think a lot of people are waking up to the opportunity. One thing I wanted to point out, you talk about quality of your jeans and, you know, what, the research I did on your brand, quality is, is such a big part of it. And I think it's important that listeners understand, you know, success doesn't just come from the social impact you're creating, you know, the, the cost of being at the table is yeah. is quite you've got to you've got to show up with you know a high quality product in the first yeah. place haven't you Absolutely. you've got to pass that test and, and if you don't you're a charity um and if you you know people have got to want to buy our products because of the product not because of the impact the cherry on top is the impact um and so you know it's very very important that you um you don't ever rest on those laurels and it's tempting to and we have in the past but one thing I can speak with absolute conviction is that your product is the thing that makes the difference. It is mm. the thing. With a terrible product, you will make very limited impact. If you can have an amazing, beautiful product, then the limitations are nearly endless. Mm. And sustainability, like you haven't just stopped at exploitation and vulnerable people. And, and I find this really interesting that a lot of businesses that have a higher purpose that is around one thing also start looking at their sustainability and environmental credentials. It's almost like, you know, the, the light switches go on in a certain yeah. part of your brain and you've just got to keep doing the right thing. Um, but um, tell, tell us about Amy. Is it, is it the world's most sustainable denim wash? Yeah, yeah. Oh, we. I mean, and look, it's not just it's not just Amy that that gene. It's like other genes, and you know, and it's the. I guess what goes beyond that is that, yeah, sure, it's it's like as good as you can buy. It still has a negative impact though um, mm. on the environment. You know, like nothing is one hundred percent sustainable, and we see a lot of greenwashing marketing out there that says one hundred percent sustainable, and I was like, or like, um, no, like 
that's that's not true but that's the best option you can get out there and yep. there's others that we've got in our collections too now but what you do buy when you buy an outland denim product is you are purchasing and funding innovation because our goal i think i shared earlier in this podcast um that our goal was to create a product that didn't just leave the people in a better position as a result of making it but also the planet now if you mm. think about it to be able to leave the planet in a better position means that you've got to not just be able to have uh, zero emissions or, or, you know, you've actually got to be uh, leaving it better. So it's healthier, not just minimizing impact, you know? Um, and so for us, there's, there's so many things that go into that, you know, it's the water, how is it used? How is the fibers growing? You know, did it sequester any carbon out of the atmosphere? What happened to the, when it was harvested? What happens to the end of life cycle of this product? And so our goal has been to continually work toward this, this, this um, end point of being able to say, hey, when you buy it, the planet was also left healthier because the fiber was grown, because we made it. Um, and there's lots of steps that have to happen in the process. But we've been, we've been working on, um, we've been researching and looking for solutions for a number of years now, even where we were growing mushrooms on textile waste and all sorts of things, you know. Um, but we have got a solution that we believe has high potential um we've proven it in the lab um we're now looking at you know the the start of like a commercial application and that that could change the way we think about um products and their end of life and how valuable they are and you know we know that you've got to if you want to really solve either issue whether it's an environmental one or a social one you've got to combine them both um that's one of the big learnings that we had is that it's not just because we should do the right thing. It's actually, well, if I want to end slavery, mm. then I've got to think about the ecosystems where they live. I've got to think about the soil conditions in which that their farmers grow. Because if I'm not considering these things, if I'm just another one that's just pushing these chemicals out the door and, and destroying the ecosystem, well, then they've never got a chance of being able to get above this cycle of poverty that they find themselves in. And equally, if I really believe that the planet we live on is something to be cared for, and I don't care whether you believe in global warming or not, I really don't care. Um, what I care about is that we all recognize that the planet is beautiful, that the planet is, is ours to steward and care for. We're the ones that are making the decisions which are impacting it. Why would we not make decisions that are best for it? And so there's some incredible studies that have been done and, and in one in particular by the name of a guy named Kevin Bales, who um, uh, works at the Wrights Lab at the University of Nottingham. And uh, he's done some amazing research and what he's put together and what he would claim is that um, you, if, if uh, slavery were a country, it would be the third largest emitter of CO2 behind China and the US. And so wow. that really brings it into perspective. Wow. Yeah. If we, if we really care about the planet, then first, one of the greatest, most powerful things we will do is address this issue of slavery. And that is the backbone of this brand and the reason we exist. Um, it's also the root of so much frustration I have around hearing these environmental movements, which aren't even considering the human impact of these movements. 
Um, oh. Slow fashion being one of those, you know, this is very provocative, but you know, I often say slow fashion is the devil. Um, and the reason I say that is not because I think buying less of bad stuff isn't a good thing. Of course it is, but more that it isn't addressing the, the, the human cost in not producing products, the losses of jobs. Automation also has the potential to create these kinds of negative impacts on people. Well, over here, we've got research which demonstrates that slavery, which is, which is rooted in poverty, is one of the, it's the third largest emitter of CO2 emissions. And that's hugely due to um, deforestation. So, so we must think about people and planet together. And anyone thinking about them separately isn't actually a part of the solution that they might think they are. They're actually probably a part of the problem um, and they don't realize it. So um, I'm really passionate about, you know, motive, you know, um, inspiring others to go, okay, cool. Where, uh, you know, the thing I love is the, the, you know, environmental issues. That's great. For me, it was the social issues, but I've become equally as passionate about the environmental issues because I've been educated to the realities that we're dealing with. And I think that those on the environmental side need to do the same with the social. And when we do that, we've got a holistic view of creating impact, lasting impact that will have generational, um, you know, flow on effects. And, you know, then we ultimately get to this place where businesses just learn over time how to operate in a way that isn't destroying either. Brilliant. And, uh, you know, I wrote down two words as you talked about that, and that is brave, like your, your, your vision and your drive and what you're trying to achieve is, is brave. Yeah. And, and vital, just vital. Like, you know, you're, you're really doing something that is absolutely vital um, for people, for that one girl, you know, yeah. for, for your people. Um, yeah. in, in your organisation and for the world at large. So first of all, Thanks, thank you for that. I mean thank that you. genuinely. Thank you because, you know, your message, I would, I would just like to ripple it out to everybody if possible um, because I think there's so much wisdom in there and opportunity. And I'd, I'd like to end. You talked about, you know, that what you, what you have created is not a business but a movement um, and yeah, I, I, I believe that so strongly that if we start seeing our businesses as opportunities to create movements for change and attract people, you know, that, that share that change that we want to create, um, that the world's just going to be a much, much better place. Your movement, 2030, where do you hope, you know, in your wildest dreams, where do you hope that movement could be? by 2030? Uh, look, uh, you know, ultimately that the fashion industry is the leader, that the fashion industry is moving in such a, in such a you know, innovative space um, that, that we just don't put profit over, over people and planet, you know, that, that we find ways to incorporate all three of those things together so that it, they, it, so that it is super profitable. And in fact, for brands that aren't doing this, I hope they don't exist. I, I, I hope they go out of business. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, the challenge is to the leadership of any business that isn't doing the right thing, either shift or die. It is simple. Um, Hallelujah. Because, 
we don't have room for you. And, and in fact, it's also businesses are greenwashing. Actually, you're the greatest threat. You're the greatest threat that any business who's trying to use it, their business for good faces today. Yeah. Is, is a brand or a business that is greenwashing um, consumers. Consumers have become victims of this movement, which is mm. horrible. And so in 10 years from now, in 2030, I, I dream of a, an industry which is pure, um, which is there to, to benefit people and planet um, at the same time as making profits. And that those that, that weren't willing because of greed don't exist. They don't have a business anymore. Um, because businesses like Outland Denim are coming for you. <laughs> I love that, James. James, thank you so much. Um, it has been an absolute honour to talk to you about this and I've learnt so much and I'm sure our listeners will and I'm, I'm really inspired to learn more about Outland Denim and to find out how I can help support you in whatever way. So thank, thank you. So you. No, honestly, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you and appreciate this opportunity. Thanks for listening to this episode of the For Love and Money podcast. If you'd like to take a deeper dive into the purpose movement, visit us at thecauseeffect.com.au. And remember, doing good is good for business. So if you're not doing good, then what are you doing?